Hi, and welcome to Screens and Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Diana. I'm Brittany. And this is episode 28. Today, we'll be reviewing season five, episodes five and six of The Walking Dead with the lens of secrecy. Before we dive in, how are you doing today, Diana? I am doing excellent, Brittany. (laughs) Um, I just had a wonderful week last week with having a few days off and going to San Francisco, being with my family, and uh, meeting up with my mother-in-law, and so it was just really great spending time with family. Definitely. Yeah. And how are you doing? I'm doing well, but in Buffy, my dog news, he recently chewed up a cereal box for fun. So, you know, just newborns. Aren't they great? (laughs) Newborns. (laughs) That's my newborn. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah. I heard there's going to be like paw paw leave. Or I don't know what it's called. But like people are giving like uh, people that adopt animals and have animals are giving them paw leave. Oh, like two weeks. Gosh. (laughs) I heard that on the Today Show. Game changer. (laughs) So, so you cool. can bond with your puppy and, you know. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one giving it, but okay. You're welcome, Brittany. <laughs> okay, Diana, let's do our recaps. Okay, season five, episode five, self-help. Abraham, Rosita, Eugene, Tara, Glenn, and Maggie are on their way to D.C. when their bus crashes. Eugene tells Tara he tampered with the bus, causing it to crash. While on their journey, they find an enormous herd of walkers in their path. Everyone wants to turn back except for Abraham, which causes a fight. Eugene yells out and confesses he is not a scientist, nor does he have a cure. What? Abraham loses it and knocks him out. (laughs) Flashback reveals Abraham had a family who feared and left him because of his survival tactics. He finds them eaten by walkers, and right as he is about to put a gun in his mouth, he hears a man's pleas for help. The man is Eugene, and he says he is on a mission to D.C. and needs help, which gives Abraham a reason to live. Season 5, Episode 6, Consumed. This highlights where Carol and Daryl have been, and it ends with Carol getting taken into Slabtown, that hospital where Beth is, and they also meet Noah and learn Beth is at the hospital. Okay, Diana, where did you see the theme of secrecy in these two episodes? I saw it with Carol and her secrecy about her abusive husband and with what happened to Lizzie and Mika and with Karen and David. She is in a constant battle with surviving and we see her reinventing herself and it's an exhausting evolution. Mm -hmm. Out of everyone on the show, we have seen Carol transform the most. We are reminded in this episode of her life before now. She and Daryl stay the night at a woman's shelter where she and Sophia had stayed when she was married to stupid, abusive jerk Ed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also see various flashbacks of Carol's journey and each one symbolized by smoke. Mm. After Rick banishes her from the group and she is living alone, she discovers the prison is on fire. 
Also, when Carol burns the bodies of Karen and David, and when we see her digging Mika and Lizzie's graves with Tyrese's help. We also see smoke in the background after she saves the group from Terminus. And finally, we see it again when Daryl burns the bodies of the mother and child in the shelter to honor Carol. Carol refers to burning away her old selves. She tells Daryl about being with Ed and says, who I was with him, she got burned away. But at the prison, I got to be who I always thought I should be. Then she got burned away. Everything now just consumes you. Hmm. She had previously told Daryl she didn't want to talk about what happened with Lizzie and Mika. But at the same time, she wanted to let it out. She has the secret inside her that she needs to feel absolved from. He says he doesn't need to know. Daryl knows who Carol is and won't judge her. He is a perfect friend and just what she needs right now and always. So I think that's really fascinating how you notice the smoke. I did not notice that at all. Oh. So that's really cool. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. And I agree with you. I think that friends don't always need to know all the details or even family. Mm -hmm. They don't need to know every little detail because they know you so well. And that's just such a, that makes my heart warm. (laughs) That's really sweet. And really sweet of Daryl too. Yes, totally. And I want to talk about Daryl. So Daryl's secrecy popped up to me just regarding his past of child abuse and how much it has fostered this ability for him to be compassionate and empathetic. We see that he grabbed that book, the, I think it's Treating Survivors of Child Abuse, something like that. And at first I wondered if this was because of Carol's abusive late husband, but then kind of thought about how it could also be rooted in Daryl's childhood too. Merle and Daryl spoke scarcely about the unhealthy environment they grew up in, but it is strongly alluded to that their father was abusive to Mm -hmm. them. And it makes me really wonder about the stories that people do choose to reveal about their past. Uh, Yes, it's no secret that Daryl didn't grow up in a mansion in Beverly Hills, (laughs) doesn't regard his parents or even Merle as the most affectionate, loving, or supportive trio. However, he's not exactly verbose and talkative about that life and his upbringing either. When you think about it, there's such a quiet level of secrecy to everything we divulge to others. There's always seemingly minute but actually quite notable details that can be left out. And sometimes it's unintentional that we leave them out. However, we assiduously guard some parts so close to our hearts and are more mindful of disclosing them. We beat around the bush sometimes to divert the attention to another aspect of our story or maybe we're just kind of mum about it. And I don't think Daryl's secrecy is particularly calculated or planned. I think it can be a combination of opportunity to tell these stories to people as well as his own apprehension to being vulnerable and having the spotlight on himself. However, I do appreciate that we get a glimpse more of his own interests with the reveal of that book falling out. Maybe it's not entirely for himself, but I think somewhere deeply housed in his unconscious, he's definitely still a bit inquisitive in regards to assigning meaning and to coming to terms with his own past and his relationship with abuse. I think it was so sweet 
when Carol sees the shadows of a mother and a child behind they are walkers and they are behind that door Mm -hmm. and she goes to do something about it and he stops her from doing it and says you don't have to do this Mm -hmm. and then later when she wakes up and she sees the smoke and she walks over she sees that he is burning the bodies and which is to bring honor to her right and so that she didn't have to do it it was just the sweetest gesture Right. And I think they're just amazing friends. They are. They are the couple that never was and should have been. I know. (laughs) He just cares for her so much, and it's so sweet, and that just shows how much compassion he has, Mm -hmm. especially for he knows that she's a survivor of abuse, and he knows her past, so it's just they, they share such a special connection. Yeah. It's really nice to see. It is. Okay, so on the other side of the spectrum (laughs) is Eugene's secrecy. He tampers with the bus and makes it crash, and he confides this in Tara. Mm -hmm. She decides to keep his secret. I think Tara is probably Eugene's closest friend. (laughs) I'm not sure why, but... (laughs) They are. (laughs) Later, Eugene reveals his big secret that he is not a scientist and he doesn't have a cure, even though he led everyone to believe he did. He did this because he felt like he had no value and that others would see him as a hindrance Mm -hmm. and not protect him because of his mullet. Yes, and he never knew T. Brooks Ellis. I repeat, I do not know T. Brooks Ellis. I did read one of his books. (laughs) Okay, Brittany, just because you read the book don't mean shit. It's so funny. He's like, T. Brooks Ellis said, because of my hair, I'd be fun or I whatever. I'm like, really? I don't know. Oh, my God. Gene is crazy. Amazing. Okay, so let's talk about the serious revelations of Eugene's truth and how it affected Abraham. I feel that the biggest secret of this episode is clearly Eugene's, and I want to talk about specifically how much this viscerally affected Abraham. Mm -hmm. Abraham thought he was doing something that would be venerated, highly respected. Everything they did was to keep Eugene alive. And that was somehow justified because of the grand mission to save the world. Abraham found a true purpose in Eugene after his family died. He was at his lowest point when he stumbled upon Eugene or when Eugene helplessly stumbled upon him. I don't know if Abraham has disclosed what unraveled with his family. And that's yet another secret that we see. But I imagine that Eugene did not understand the magnitude of his mission in the perspective of Abraham. Finding out that this entire mission was based on a selfish lie elicited the worst disappointment, frustration, and heartbreak in Abraham. In this moment, you see how physically, emotionally, and mentally painful it can be when you find out someone has lied to you. We see in a lot of movies, TV shows, real-life situations that uh, people preach honesty is the best policy, and typically those situations pan out okay. But I appreciated Abraham's reaction because it showed how 
colossally unforgiving and heartbreaking it can feel when you're lied to, when you've been deceived for so long. Abraham was able to really push aside his family's undoing by focusing on this mission. And I don't know that anyone, even Rosita, understood the interplay of all this behind the scenes. But when the curtain finally falls down and Eugene's secret is revealed, Abraham now has to come to terms with his grief, as well as feeling like a fool for believing so strongly in this mission. And I cried in this moment, realizing that Abraham relied so heavily on this mission to feel purpose, and it could have been his way of repenting for what he feels is his failure in protecting his family. Now that he knows he protected Eugene for basically nothing, he feels like nothing. And this totally exacerbated his grief and suffering. So screw you, Eugene. (laughs) I, oh my gosh, I so agree with everything you said because I was thinking as you were talking earlier, what a fool he must have felt like. And then you said that. (laughs) And then I said, and then I thought to myself, so much was built into that about losing his family. So it's not just that somebody lied to you. Mm -hmm. It was the circumstance that surrounded it. Right. So it was like, oh, so I think he released a lot of things when he punched him because it was also about his family. It just wasn't that, oh, you lied to me. It was mainly his family. Yeah. So he was was pushing aside his grief. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have to deal with it because Mm -hmm. he was focusing so hard on this mission Mm -hmm. and he felt so important and he felt like he was protecting someone because he couldn't protect his family. And it just, it totally broke his heart. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that Eugene was his best friend. It's not the lie. It's Mm -hmm. the loss of purpose and it's the heartbreak mm-hmm. behind wow I did this because I needed something mm-hmm. to hold on to yeah and now that something was nothing mm-hmm. so Gene's a yeah Gene's a f boy yeah he's <laughs> all right Diana what are other things that you noticed I would like to talk about Glenn and Maggie. Mm -hmm. They are such a real couple with real conversations. On the bus, Maggie says to Glenn, maybe Carol and Daryl made it back and they are behind us. Glenn says we are clearing the road for them. Maggie is so hopeful and Glenn is so supportive. Rick and the group are their family. And like Brittany mentioned last episode, Glenn and Maggie are brave. They are on this mission, not because they wanted to be, but because they needed to be. Mm -hmm. At the library, Maggie feels guilty and says, we are looking for something else and they don't get to, referring to the group. He says, well, we almost died today and we don't have a car and we are drinking toilet water. (laughs) (laughs) She smiles. She says, it feels really good having this because it's not what was, it's all about what is going to be. He tells her not to feel guilty and kisses her. And this is why they are my favorite couple. (laughs) I agree. They are a super cute couple and their goals. (laughs) But I just want to talk about the flashbacks again. You know, some of the flashbacks weren't working for me, but Abraham's were very powerful. So his flashbacks before meeting Eugene were just so heart-wrenching. I cried watching them, and I don't think I fully appreciated it or gave him enough credit before. I'm just thinking of any father 
doing what he can to protect his kids and wife, and then to have them to be stunned by the violence enough to run from him. (laughs) When he finds their dead bodies, I just felt awful. Abraham probably feels responsible for their deaths because his actions are what caused them to leave him, right? However, that's too much guilt to carry. People make their own choices, and Abraham's choice as a father was to protect his own. I see both sides with the kids being scared and Abraham's instinct to do whatever it takes to protect his kids and wife, but this just really broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to talk about those moments when you yell at the TV. <laughs> Abraham moves the fire truck away from the door it was holding shut only to release the walkers. Why do you think the fire truck was backed up to the door? (laughs) Carol throwing her gun through the doorway and squeezed through without first looking and with her back to the other side. Noah steals her weapon and holds a gun on her. What if there were walkers? (laughs) Why would you do this? Carol runs ahead and out to the street and is hit by a car when she knows the people from the hospital are driving in the vicinity. Riders, you are killing me! (laughs) So true. So, it's been three episodes without Rick in a row. So, (laughs) episode four was all about Beth. Episode five was about Abraham and company. Episode six was the Daryl and Carol show. (laughs) Imagine three weeks going by when this actually aired and not seeing Rick. Rue! I want to say I miss Rick. While these episodes have been pretty good, especially the Daryl and Carol one, I do miss him. And I'm so looking forward to seeing him again. Okay, Diana. So what are you currently watching? So I watched Fear the Walking Dead, um, season four, episode 10, Close Your Eyes. So this episode dealt with Alicia and Charlie confined in a house because of a hurricane and having to deal with each other, wrestling with their inner demons. Alicia wants to kill Charlie, understandably. And at one point, Charlie wants Alicia to kill her too. It's an interesting character study. Alicia Debnam Carey, who plays Alicia Clark, really carries this episode and does an amazing job. Alexa Nisenson, who plays Charlie, does an excellent job too. I enjoyed this episode. I also watched Talking Dead. um, And the guests were Mercedes Mason, who plays Ophelia, along with co-showrunner Andrew Shambliss and actress-singer Deborah Joy Winans. Deborah was not shy in saying that she doesn't like Charlie, no matter what her age. They kept making jokes about when you are accountable. They came up with eight years old. (laughs) Uh, It kept fluctuating. Uh, Mercedes discussed her death on the show from season three and how tragic it was not to see her father moments before she passed and how she gave the message to Madison to tell her father that she was looking forward to getting to know him. It was so sad. And then co-showrunner Andrew talked about one of his favorite movies called Miracle Mile from the 80s starring Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham and how he used that movie to inspire this episode. It made me want to watch it. Um, I watch Sharp Objects and I'm a little bit behind so I'm curious if you're going to be reviewing that because I'm, I'm not up to date but I want to hear what's going on. 
So You Think You Can Dance, I mentioned previously that Slavic and Genesee are my favorite and they continue to be. Oh my God, I think a romance is brewing. Mm. They have the greatest chemistry and it is seeping through my television set. I can feel the emotion through their dance and this relationship is so sweet and endearing and I am hoping so bad that they become a couple. (laughs) I also watch Better Call Saul. This continues to be such a good show. Some really gruesome, hardcore criminal behavior and thoughtful, tearful, loving deceit. I love Kim Wexler, played by Rhea Seahorn. She is awesome. The only movie I watched was Daddy's Home 2. Will Ferrell makes me laugh, and while this movie wasn't horrible, it wasn't that great either. Don't go out of your way to watch this, but if you see it, you'll probably find yourself laughing when Ferrell is on the screen. Okay, Brittany, what are you currently watching? Well, for TV, I watched The Affair finale. Spoiler alert, the show killed off one of the main characters, and there's still one more season to go. I'm very frustrated with this death and the reasoning behind it. I genuinely believe the women on this show deserve more. It is so off-putting to me that a woman is the showrunner. And half of the characters are purely sex fantasies of every man. They say things like, you want to know why I love sex with women? And just like, like, oh, you're a a grown man. Like, when did you really learn how to be good at sex? I'm like, what? Who talks like this? (laughs) Fantasies of men. Okay. Anyway, the women who do stand up for themselves either get cheated on or die. Yeah, you can see how it's frustrating to watch as a woman. Anyway, Helen's character arc, on the other hand, has grown so much, so I'm feeling better about where her story is going. But for the rest of the characters, I am not as optimistic. I also watched Sharp Objects. There's one more episode, and I just can't wait for the killer to be revealed. I've been reading Reddit threads to see what people's theories are, and I haven't seen anyone predict it yet. Unless they switch it from the book. Who knows? Mm. I really hope they don't, because it's a good twist. But anyway, I think it's safe to say, by this point, that Adora is a despicable mother who has awful dependency issues. Mothers who need their children to need them this badly are embarrassing and evil. So bad. And we also are watching preseason football. So great. Football is back in our lives. So <laughs> it's very important in our household. And we are we are very excited to see Jimmy Garoppolo lead the 49ers this season. But I'm also like, oh, great. Here comes football season. It's just overpowering in our household. I also started to watch this series called Kim's Convenience. It's about a Korean-Canadian family who owns a convenience store in Toronto. And I'm loving seeing more and more Asian stories coming to the forefront. And I'm just hoping we can see more diversity within that. But I'm so incredibly happy for Korean and Chinese representation right now. I'm here for it. (laughs) And then for movies, I was telling Diana, (laughs) I watched To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Lana Condor from X-Men and Noah Centineo from The Fosters star in this. One of the producers is Will Smith, and this is based on the novel of the same name by Jenny Han. 
I haven't watched Crazy Rich Asians yet, but I got my people of color representation <laughs> fix from this movie. <laughs> I am absolutely head over heels, over the moon, smiling from your <laughs> ear, butterflies in your stomach, in love with this high school rom-com. Everything from the music to the dialogue to the voiceovers to the angles and the film editing. This movie is the rom-com of this generation, and that's that! Mm. (laughs) Lana and Noah have natural chemistry. The story feels real, and I love that the leading lady is an Asian-American. I relate to the main character a lot, just with her relationship dynamic between her and her sisters, her love for reading and writing, her natural introverted tendencies, and her struggle as a high schooler. This film made my heart so incredibly happy and giddy, and it proved to me why representation matters so much. I'm going to read the trilogy now. I ordered them all on Amazon. (laughs) Jenny Han, the writer, she also makes a cameo, which is super sweet. And I apologize to everyone for hyping up this movie, which I hate when other people or critics do, but I genuinely believe it is one of the best Netflix movies I've seen lately, and I do think you will all love it. Seriously, if you don't, message me. I want to (laughs) know. I want to see it. And I just saw the trailer. I will watch it. I think you'll really like it. And then my last movie I saw is All I See Is You. I think this was a couple of years ago. I don't remember the exact year. But it stars Blake Lively and Jason Clark. So this woman who was blind before can now see because of a cornea transplant in one of her eyes. And her marriage begins to suffer. It's because she's really hot. And, like, he's not that hot. And, like... Just just setting that out there. It's an okay movie, but it did make me think, wow, men are trash. <laughs> so watch at your own risk. Okay, Diana, we are at, and the award goes to. So what was your favorite moment, quote, or character? My favorite character is Carol. <laughs> I feel so bad for her and for everything she has been through. After Rick leaves her and she drives off, She stops and cries on the steering wheel, and a walker bangs on the car. Carol is so distraught, and she yells at the walker, go away. This is so heartbreaking to me because she is so hurt. Also, she tells Daryl, I don't want to watch you die. I don't want to watch Beth die or anyone at the church. That is why I left. I couldn't just sit around. I had to be somewhere else. Daryl says, you are right here, trying. You aren't who you were, and neither am I. Carol says she doesn't know if she believes in God anymore and doesn't know if she's going to heaven or hell. If she is going to hell, she wants to hold it off as long as she can. All I can say is that Carol is a warrior. What is your favorite character quote or moment? My favorite character was Rosita. I love that she keeps it real and does everything with conviction. She's a jack of all trades, helping to maintain Abraham's bandages, corrects him when he incorrectly refers to certain parts of the truck, and is never afraid to challenge him or anyone. She tells Abraham, maybe we always wind up stopping because we never start at 100%. She's perceptive, she's practical, she can step away from a situation and assess what is going on and how to improve their chances overall. 
This doesn't mean she's a robot, though. She is so heartbroken when Eugene reveals the truth and reminds him that people died trying to get him there. She probably feels horrified that she protected him so fiercely and justified others' deaths for it. I just love that there are so many layers of Rosita. Okay, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. We are grateful you tuned in and we hope something we said today resonated with you, gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity, or inspiration. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday, and the next show will be on Season 5, Episodes 7 and 8. You can find our blog at the link listed in our show notes. See you next time. Bye!